Alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Bob, how are you feeling today on this uh, Tuesday? Doing well. Yesterday was 4:20. Uh, happy 4:20. We we uh, we exactly uh, we we took a closer look at the concept of 4:20, right? On 4:20, 4:20:20. By the way, uh, once in a lifetime experience. Uh, and to reflect just on what does it mean specifically, but what does the so-called holiday uh, mean? So we've thought a lot about those things, uh, but no, things are things are good. Uh, you know, staying busy, um, uh, keeping uh, keeping keeping everything going forward. Sure. Well, and, and you know, while people couldn't celebrate 420 in the way that they normally do, you know, we have the huge gathering here in Denver at a was it Civic Center Park? Correct. Um, you know, there is still, there's a lot to celebrate this year, and, and uh, I know it, it's been touched on a lot, but the, the essential service designation, um, all of those things are, are little steps that are leading to bigger cannabis reform topics and, and just a, a general feeling shift in perspective. Um, so certainly a lot to celebrate this year, just, in, you know, in spite of, the, uh, of everything else that's going on. You know, we also saw a couple days ago, speaking of the Civic Center, we saw people uh, protesting, protesting the stay-at-home orders. Um, interested in your thoughts on that. And, uh, you know, what, what does it mean? It's created a bit of a, a tension in the climate, I think, here in Colorado. Um, interested in your thoughts? No, it, it, it certainly has. And, and, and uh, it, unfortunately, but I guess to be expected, uh, particularly after being locked down for a month or more, you know, human beings are going to get a little agitated. Uh, and it's, it is, you know, the observation is that this has become politicized, right? You, uh, you identify behavior with your politics, and um, that's somewhat of an unusual concept uh, when you think about how you jam so many issues into a particular p- political party. But, uh, you know, the folks that are protesting— uh, the Constitution says things. People put different stock, uh, different opinions on what the Constitution means. And, uh, you know, that's every American's right to look at the Constitution and, and attribute meaning uh, to, to, to it in the way they want. And in this kind of scenario, uh, there's definitely a limitation of liberty, one might say. Uh, it might be a, 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 a just reduced freedom. Uh, I don't think that it's something that is unexpected or that has been particularly unwarranted or harsh as we try to get our arms around and understand this. But, uh, you know, when you see people that be believe so strongly in a particular concept as it relates to, to, to personal freedoms and the like, uh, and then that they take action regardless of the message, so long as it's done in a peaceful way, I admire that. I admire that people uh, think about something and, and believe in something so much that they would take their time and, and, and devote energy to that. And uh, I unfortunately do think that we'll see more of that uh, as this unfolds. And uh, the most fascinating thing to me, though, work is if you look at what's going to happen in a place like Georgia, uh, in places where they begin to relax these stay-at-home orders. Uh, does Do we go back to a busy life? Uh, does it uh, accomplish the objective, as these protesters are trying to suggest, let people be responsible for themselves and take precautions. Don't 
tell them not to leave. Uh, you know, you see some of these banners that say um, uh, quarantine is when you're keeping sick people at home. Uh, tyranny is when you're keeping healthy people at home. I'm not saying I agree with that concept uh, or as, as that it's applicable here. But at the same time, it's uh, it's uncharted territory in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, people aren't going to rest. Uh, and when you have government action that does restrict liberty, um, it's it's going to elicit a lot of emotions. Well, you know, what's interesting is is you bring up Georgia. And, uh, you know, not to get too into the weeds on this subject matter, but, you know, the, the North and the South United States, those two regions, there's always been a, a struggle. And when we think about cannabis, you kind of see this as well. Um, you know, you, you see where the more progressive uh, legal and regulatory policies are, are leading the charge. And uh, I want to talk for a second about uh, cannabis in general in the South. You know, when you look at the, the hemp side of the industry, smokable hemp, for example, has been a, a big issue. And probably the biggest market for smokable hemp, at least to date, has been in that region. Uh, there's no access to commercial, uh, limited access to, to medical marijuana. Mm. And yet uh, there's obviously some market for a product like this. And smokable hemp is kind of bypassed in the, law, in the uh, eyes of lawmakers and uh, law enforcement in those regions. So just interested in your thoughts kind of on that and, and uh, you know, what we can maybe expect. Well, the, the southern, you know, part of the United States, the southeast in particular, uh, you know, there's there's uh, certain political behavior that's, you know, generally associated with that a area. If you think about um, the cannabis policy, uh, cannabis reform, if you will, they're the most restrictive states. Uh, there are instances uh, where there is medical marijuana available in very, very narrow circumstances. Uh, but available that shows progress in uh, in the in the South, which is is largely you know conservative, as I mentioned, and a lot of uh, the population is is rooted in religion. And you know, while we uh, look at cannabis benevolently and and understand it's important, even uh, attached to religion, that's not what people are generally taught. Uh, uh, so that sort of carries its way through how you view uh, cannabis, and it's perceived to be a drug. It's not perceived to be something that could be beneficial. That sounds like a load of, you know, horse crap, that this could actually uh, cure cure people or help them. Um, it's so far from what's taught and what's indoctrinated that that generally, I, I think, is a reflection of their politics, uh, or politics is a reflection of that social uh, behavior and that upbringing and that conservative nature. Now, shifting gears to your point about uh, smokable hemp, that's some of the reason that we see such a uh, emerging, I wouldn't call it large, but a, an emerging demand for smokable hemp in regions where marijuana is not readily available in some commercial or regulated format, whether that's a medical marijuana state or an adult use state or, or both, like here in Colorado. Um, if there is access to cannabis, uh, then there's less of a demand for smokable hemp. If there's not access to cannabis, smokable hemp becomes um, the replacement. The, uh, the, the, it, it, it comes along with the same notion of, of doing something um, or possessing something and using something that, that, uh, you know, that uh, can be obtained through a commercial market, a legal hemp market, 
but at, at the same time not be illegal. So it, it, it presents a lot of uh, consumer demand and market demand in those locations. Sure. Well, and there, you know, that's certainly going to be just an interesting sector to keep an eye on, uh, especially this year with, with 2020 uh, production likely to be, you know, the biggest, uh, undoubtedly, but also with some of those southern states. You know, you said the southeast, but also, you know, Texas, uh, Arizona, all of these states are coming online. They simply are, are you know, this is their first year, their first foray into this. Some of those states obviously have already enacted some legislation that says, hey, we're doing hemp. Yeah, we're pretty much doing it for the industrial uses of the crop. Let's stay away from all of that. Let's not muddy the waters, if you will. Uh, but shifting gears to another topic, we saw um, on the east coast of the United States, we saw a, a large uh, Canadian LP, Canopy. They're kind of pulling back a little bit on some of the infrastructure investments that they were placing in the United States as it relates to the, to the hemp supply chain, is my understanding. Um, but interested, you know, we've talked a lot about these issues in this coronavirus series on the Hoban Minute, why a company might do something like that now, seeing, anticipating the effects of all of this and on the market. But, uh, you know, what, what are you thinking about it? I, you know, I, I don't think it's too dissimilar from what we've seen with other um, so-called cannabis industry titans, although Canopy was, was a titan on a different level, uh, dollars and cents-wise. Uh, there are other companies that, that have seen great success, um, not comparing companies, but just think about companies like Privateer and MedMen and uh, Aurora and uh, so many of these multi-state operators like Harvest and, and Acreage that have done things on a large scale. They're all retreating. They have to. They're being smarter with their acquisitions. The money from the Canadian markets uh, that largely dried up by the summer of 2019, and that changed the focus to uh, reduced, rather than these crazy inflated valuations, um, and access to capital became much more uh, limited, restricted, uh, tightened, if you will. Um, and that, of course, caused those companies to be smarter about how they did things anyway. Now, the Canopy situation, which just came out, comes on the heels of their strategy last year under Bruce Linton, the former CEO, or at least co-CEO. And his plan was to um, take North America and control as much industrial hemp production, farmland, as possible. That was the public plan. That was made publicly available. They began to execute on that plan with a large focus, as I understand it, on Oregon uh, and a couple of other places. Um, and a little bit in Colorado, as I understand it. But my point is that now the idea is that you're getting away from farming. Um, and it was always a notion that if this was going to be a large-scale industry, if this was going to be something that was globalized, that the you would use particular aspects of your supply chain as a service provider and looking at it as a supply chain. One company cannot own the entire supply chain. In a vertically integrated marijuana business in state X, yes, you can have a vertically integrated supply chain because it's a small scale. It's a much shorter, to David Bush's point, as we talked about before, it's a much shorter supply, supply chain uh, from cultivation to market. Now, <coughs> excuse me, you throw... Um, one second. What was I talking about? <laughs> Vertically integrated marijuana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a short supply chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so to understand that uh, the producers, the farmers are going to be there and that you don't need to control that farmland in multiple locations around the world, by the way, not just in the United States. There was African, South Africa in particular that I saw uh, a couple of other locations. So they were producing cannabis on a large scale. That production of cannabis will still occur. And because it's a, a, an emerging market, the cost per, uh, for, for volume of that material will still be reasonably priced, even if you don't own that as part of your production. You're utilizing that part of the supply chain by working with third-party service providers. And that is the way to go on a large scale when you're talking about a global commodity. You cannot be one answer to all people as it relates to one business that participates in owning the entire supply chain. That's quite an ambitious objective. Well, and I, I think this is related uh, kind of in a tangential way, but I caught, um, you know, the presentation you did on the whole plant for the NOCO uh, Earth Week event. And, and you, you raised a point in there that I thought was particularly interesting. It's maybe something that doesn't get enough coverage in the, in the hemp industry, but it's the idea of futures. It's the idea of with other commodities, you know, you can set a price because you have enough data. You have enough information to, to be able to predict what the cost of something is going to be a couple months down the road, maybe even a couple of years. This is something that, you know, as a, if you are a farmer, and uh, you know you you're trying to secure that forward contract. You're trying to get uh, crop insurance. You're trying to get a loan. All of these ancillary services that that are over here, but you know very much inform your agricultural uh, uh, operation. You know this is this is a big gap in the industry. I'm, and I'm interested in kind of your thoughts on what it will take to get those futures. Are we close? Uh, but they're so important, and, and we we need them. So so the evolution of creating a commodity. And, and when you think about a commodity, don't get over, don't overthink it. Commodity just creates reliability. You just have to understand that commodity means reliability. It means that every part of the production, the pricing, the infrastructure, um, the distribution is accounted for uh, and, and somewhat methodical. And, and, and so we're trying to create that, that reliability and that reliability will carry through the entire uh, supply chain from genetics. So what, that's what we've seen to date. We've seen the balance of farmers that grow a single purpose or high CBD variety or a high cannabinoid variety of any sort versus those that grow quote unquote industrial or fiber hemp, uh, what I'd call a whole plant approach type of scenario. Um, you see this the shift there and that shift is beginning to balance where it was predominantly um, single purpose CBD horticultural style farmers that has been eroded to about 65 to 70% of the industry, where it was once only 5 or 10% of the industry. And I think you'll start to see that, that playing field level out. When it does, we move through that farming genetics side of the industry. That Farmers are going to be very good at doing what they do. Give them two seasons and they'll figure it out with the right genetics uh, and you know the right uh, irrigation, etc. Now we're looking at supporting the farmers. Why will farmers plant more of something that they're either good at or going to be very good at growing in the United States a lot of? And that's the infrastructure. You need processing. How do you get the, the industrial hemp out of the field reliably and consistently? We need 
brand new or retooled cultivation equipment that can capture the important parts of the plant in that sort of whole plant use style. We need infrastructure for purposes of seed processing, seed conditioning. We need decortication, wet and dry. We need machinery that can uh, remove different components from within sort of the wood or the pulp of the plant, all the while leaving uh, some biomass for purposes of, of pallet manufacturing and or building materials. All of these things are possible uh, as that balance shift, but only with that processing manufacturing infrastructure. That's really the next step, Eric. And once those things take place and that there is enough infrastructure to process in different regions close enough to the farmers, you'll start to see the pricing and the commoditization take effect because you're creating two major components of the supply chain and giving it what? Reliability and consistency. So then the distribution uh, of these products and the integration into different verticals will become much easier because the demand's there and the technology as it's attached to say fuels and plastics and things of that nature, that will evolve uh, and, and get better as well. At the same time, we're bulking up on the production side. Well, I, I uh, probably am in the minority here, but I'm the kind of person that gets excited thinking about the, the day when uh, hemp is right there aside, right next to corn and soy and wheat on, uh, you know, the, the ag web or wherever you go to find the, the spot indexes. I also just raise, and I don't want to uh, throw out any inaccurate information, but keeping an eye on the hemp benchmarks, you know, you talk about how CBD is uh, been, you know, accounted for maybe 70% or, or thereabouts uh, of production in the U.S. and the price, just the, the falling uh, spot index price of biomass over the last year. It's just astounding, uh, something like 80%. But again, don't want to throw out information that isn't totally correct. You know, you, you sent me a note uh, recently, Bob, that, that uh, just thought it'd be a good place to end on here. And it's, uh, it's not an apocalypse, it's a revolution. I really like that. You know, we've talked a lot about finding the positivity in all of this. And I think, you know, things are, uh, uh, the stay-at-home order is supposedly lifting here um, in the next couple of days in Colorado. We may be resuming some normality. And uh, I think that's an important message. would love to hear you talk a little bit about what that means to you and, and maybe to others out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, let, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's just think for a moment about the fact that um, we've been compelled to change our lifestyle dramatically and very quickly for an extended period of time thus far. Um, and for some, it's easier than others. And of course, you know, there's a lot of people that are, that are ill and impacted by, by, you know, suffering from this virus. So let's not forget that. But the majority, seemingly the vast majority of people are, you know, sheltering in place or, or some sort of uh, stay-at-home type quarantine scenario. Uh, those that are lucky enough that have some space in a yard, uh, you know, unfortunately, think, think about people that have been restricted in, in urban areas and in cities where there's not a lot of space uh, and public areas like parks are shut down. That's, uh, that's a difficult scenario. So as we've gathered information and got our arms around this, both as a country and a scientific community, I think we understand it better. The important thing is to stay away from the politicization of, of all the topics surrounding this and just think about it from a, a uh, perspective of what would I do to protect myself and my family 
and be respectful of other people the way that they view that same exact topic. Um, and you can honestly and objectively view the different perspectives of let's just get this over with and get back to normal versus let's just sit tight for two to four more months. I mean, holy smokes, when I heard that the other day, that was somewhat alarming to hear the prime minister or the president uh, perhaps of of the Netherlands say that he believes social distancing will be in pay, place through 2021, maybe even into 2022. Those are alarming concepts for people that only have a certain limited number uh, uh, time on earth, uh, number one, where in theory, the reason for um, uh, maintaining this scenario, uh, just in terms of how we're treating it as a society and being cautious about it so we can learn and understand what's happening around us, try to make good and educated decisions, allow um, companies that do research and bio uh, science to create some sort of treatment or vaccine, um, bring along the healthcare infrastructure, beds, uh, the ventilation equipment. Um, if we can do those things, then what's the harm in slowly easing restrictions and moving things back to where people that have been cooped up can get out at step one, step two, begin to resume some sort of normal routine, uh, particularly for people that, that are in economic straits because of this scenario. Uh, what's wrong? And we're, we're watching uh, a state like Georgia make a decision. Let's watch. Right. Let's see what happens. No reason to malign a decision, politicize it, call people stupid. Uh, when you can look and if this is what an elected official who governs his people or is reflecting the will of, of people to do, then um, how, how can we sit back and evaluate and say otherwise? No. That's a, that's a great message. And practice good judgment. Um, you know, we've, we've, all, we've all gotten a chance to learn maybe something about ourselves, learn something about our society, learn how we, we mobilize pretty quickly, uh, to your point. Right. I mean, these are all important things. And, uh, you know, let's take them with us as we continue on. Let's get back on the road uh, in the way that it is, it is appropriate to do so. So, uh, you know, Bob, always a pleasure to, to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you in person here pretty soon. There was one more thing I wanted to get off my chest before we call it a day. Get it off. And this just has to do with um, a an understanding that as we come here in Colorado and we start to look at it, these sunny days and there's green grass and, you know, some remaining, I'm sure, spring snow. But but spring is here. Uh, it's planting season. Hemp farmers are continuing to do what hemp farmers do. They're going to plant plenty of hemp in the United States this year. Farmers of all kinds will plant what they plant. But this is going to be an enormous opportunity for the hemp industry to show that it belongs and that it can take that next step forward. To your point, if we can show that we can continue to be strong, but not necessarily just increase our acreage, but grow stronger, better, more diverse products to begin to have that infrastructure catch up, that is the focus. And that will cement the fact that as we come out of this economic downturn for, ho for however long it may last, that hemp was here. It was able to uh, become a viable uh, 
option for farmers, a viable uh, source of material in the supply chain that provides food and so many other things. Um, and when we get on the other side of this, industrial hemp can be and very likely will be featured prominently. Maybe not aside corn just yet, but not far off. And like it was before, Bob, in the, uh, you know, the not too distant past, thinking back to that uh, popular mechanics, the next billion dollar crop. We'll see. The eyes of the world are, is upon the, uh, the, the hemp industry right now there. Indeed it is. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hoban Minutes special series on coronavirus and cannabis. You can head on over to hoban.law for more information on this podcast or the Hoban Law Group. If you have any ideas for subjects that we should be covering or any questions you want to pose to, to Bob or myself, shoot us an email at media at hoban.law. Stay tuned for the next episode on this special series, Coronavirus and Cannabis. <laughs>